0: You're listening to the Viva la Mami podcast, a podcast about all things motherhood. I'm your host, Jessica Cuevas. I am a mother of one on a mission to redefine the meaning of motherhood as a first generation, bilingual, and bicultural Latina mami. Regardless if we feel like a failure from time to time, or if we succeeded with the little things in our motherhood journey, it is important to celebrate all of these experiences as madres. So bring your cafecito as I invite you to be a part of this space and create raw and honest conversations about the exciting and challenging parts of being a mommy. Ahora, vámonos. Hola, hola amiga. The African proverb states, it takes a village to raise a child. I know I utilized my village when I personally went through my own breastfeeding journey with D. And now that I'm preparing for bebe numero dos, I will make sure to reach out to my village, which not only includes mi familia or friends, pero tambien lactation consultants, so they can support me and my baby on our breastfeeding journey. Today we welcome Ileana Berrios, who is an international board certified lactation consultant, also known as an IBCLC. She founded Breastfeeding Latinas after the birth of her first child And after she recognized the critical role lactation consultants play when achieving their breastfeeding goals. Breastfeeding Latinas is a platform that builds community among breastfeeding Latinas. Soon, her platform will expand to a coalition of professionals who aim at supporting Latinas from their prenatal to motherhood journeys, especially in lactation. For over five years, Ileana has virtually supported breastfeeding working professionals from corporate companies such as Google, Microsoft, Bank of America, CVS, Delta Airlines, and L'Oreal. She has also created breastfeeding programs in underrepresented communities, allowing families to receive education for prenatal and postpartum breastfeeding or childbirth from individuals that look like them. In addition, she has supported aspiring lactation professionals of color by providing scholarship opportunities to obtain their certification, which I think is wonderful. Ileana is the creator of Breastfeeding My Plan, a self-guided booklet allowing individuals to plan their breastfeeding journey. The booklet was customized to support home visiting agencies to improve breastfeeding rates in the community. It is an honor to have Ileana as we discussed statistics about breastfeeding babies between childbirth to toddler years, why there is a lack of support or education for Latina moms about breastfeeding, the common misconceptions about breastfeeding within the Latinx community, and more. I also briefly share my breastfeeding journey, and if you want to read more about it, please visit my website, which is www.vivalamami.com, where I have a couple blog posts about my breastfeeding and relactation journey. Now, here's my interview with Ileana Berrios. Hola Ileana,
1: how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yes,
0: thank you for being here and really for your willingness to have this very, very important conversation about breastfeeding for Latinas. And that is essentially the name of your platform. And I think I found you through just an Instagram search. I was literally searching up Latina breastfeeding, you know, something within that algorithm. And then I saw your page. And then I looked at all of the amazing resources that you've been sharing. And I'm like, I need to connect with this mujer because unfortunately there's a lack of representation within the IBCLC community. I want to give you the space for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself but also just to kind of talk about the disparities that there are about breastfeeding within our very own comunidad right and how there are definitely misconceptions about breastfeeding because i had that experience with myself when i had my firstborn. so before we delve into the conversation can you tell our listeners who you are and a little bit more about yourself
1: my name is sienna barrios i am a mother of three wonderful breastfed children that really gave me a run for my money when it comes to this thing called breastfeeding. <laughs> and at the moment, I am a certified lactation consultant working into telehealth agencies and also in private practice. Um, well, recently I've been now hired as a lactation specialist for a children's hospital. So I'll be working alongside medical professionals to better serve the, the community.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you kind of walk us through what led you to
1: becoming an IBCLC? So at the age of 24, I got married, I left Puerto Rico and ventured out into the United States, recognizing that Puerto Rico just was not offering what we were looking for as parents. And I came while expecting. So it was kind of a surprise when we landed here in the United States. And as a person that was raised with her father, I didn't have the experience of knowing how to take care of a child. And embarrassing as it sounds, I didn't even know that the breasts were used for breastfeeding because the cultural norm was that you bottle fed. Mm -hmm. So when I had my first daughter, I had read a ton of books to kind of prep me for this thing called pregnancy and motherhood and breastfeeding, and the literature told me that breastfeeding was doable. This is what we were created for. This is how we feed our children. And then of course the joke was on me when I delivered and now everything went backwards. Everything that the literature was telling me was going the other way. So although I received a great support in the hospital, once it was time to go home, I felt utterly alone. My mother didn't nurse us as children. My sister didn't nurse her children. The ants that I had living around me didn't nurse their children. So I was just left with just my sister. I was working at the WIC office and she was bringing me formula, encouraging me that, you know, I needed a break. This is what other breastfeeding moms do. But I was so determined into making this work that I began then to explore where can I get support? Because I knew she was being fed. I was just in severe pain. So it wasn't your typical nipple soreness that, you know, we all experience. No, this was severe. Mm. This was causing me not to want to nurse at the next feeding. I would cry along with her because it was time for feeding. Mm. That's how terrible it was. So when I finally found a clinic and I realized it was 45 minutes away from my home, it was conducted by a white American. I really was starving for that attention from my people and I couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. Then as the years went by, I had another child, things went great because now she set up the stage for trials and tribulations. So great, you know, this nursing experience with my son was wonderful, but there were instances where I also needed support and and found it again in the same clinic because I wasn't finding support where they can speak my language, they can understand my barriers. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, When I had my lost daughter, by then, I have gained more interest in this field of human lactation, became certified, was hired at WIC, was doing peer counselor work, was supporting the community. And that just ignited something in me where I said, if I can't find it, then I have to be it. So I took my certification as CLC. I went back to school and I got my undergrad in human services. I talked to my academic advisor and said, hey, I wanna go on this journey. I wanna be certified, but they're requiring the science classes. Is there something that we can do? And he said, almost definitely. So he was able to put me in classes which matched the requirements for the Comes on examiner's Mm -hmm. exam. So I finished that, thankfully, because I was a peer counselor, I had to do no clinical hours. So I devoted my time during my undergrad to just studying human lactation. And when the time came, I passed the board exam on the first go. So from there on, it was 2017, I think it was. From there on, I promised myself that I was going to be that voice, that I was going to do something about it, that I was gonna find ways and methods to support my people.
0: You're honestly meant to do this. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that it all aligned well for you Mm -hmm. and it worked out super well. It's obviously that this is something that you were meant to be, and that
1: is amazing.
0: That is amazing. It's funny how it finds
1: you. Yes. Because before coming to the United States, I was was a hairdresser. I went to beauty school, I studied tourism because of Puerto Rico tourism at the time. You know, early 2000s, tourism was spectacular. And that was my dream to just be a tour guide, to work in Condado Hotel. I just love the, the attention and the environment that tourism brought. And then my life completely changed at the birth of my first child. Yes. It kind of found me in the struggle.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the current statistics about breastfeeding, whether if it's between childbirth to all the way to the toddler years within the Latinx community, if there is like Mm -hmm. statistics about that.
1: Thank you for saying that, because in childhood, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, and I have the CDC report card for 2022, where it's not truly clear, they tend to centralize it. So statistics tell us, right, that Latinas start at a high rate of nursing about 86%. But then through time and through challenges as the months go by, those numbers dramatically drop. You know, it starts at 89, 86%. By the time the child is about three months, those numbers are now about 63%. Some data kind of stops there. Like if you go to the CDC and you you read about the report card for 2022 as the United States as a whole, 83% offer some breast milk, 62% were exclusive. By three months, 69% were being offered some milk. 45% were exclusive. By 6%, the exclusivity stopped being measured. It was 24% and there's no more data. Some breastfeeding was offered 55% by the age of six months. By nine months, that dropped to 42%. By 12 months, that was 35%. So if you notice the exclusivity rate, there's no more data because usually that's when families begin to offer solids, offer supplements, and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. breastfeeding becomes a little bit more complicated. Children adapt to other sources of feedings and they kind of back away from the breast or families just find it more doable to bottle feed and then it stops. Mm -hmm. So it's detrimental to us as Latinas that if we're not finding support early on, then we're part of that specific where then we begin to just back away breastfeeding and we begin to find quote-unquote more doable feeding solutions aka the bottom
0: Mm. it's very interesting how the data can kind of be skewed because then you're not including Mm -hmm. a specific population especially by the time Mm -hmm. the child gets a little older or you know and i was actually going to ask like does this include exclusive breastfeeding or like what happens if the baby is kind of like supplemented with formula because to be honest, that's how my baby started. You know, my intention was to breastfeed, but then I was encouraged by the nursing staff at my son's pediatrician's office, like always, you know, to supplement with formula because he may be hungry. He's crying, you know, and as I'm trying to like establish my breast milk, this is like another gateway to formula feed. And so I'm just curious if there's any data about that, right? Like whether, how are women being assessed based on their intentionality versus like the impact that happens later on and plans change? I don't know if there's anything about that.
1: There might be some scholarly journals. It's all about, Mm -hmm. you know, searching them and finding them. Sometimes the the major researchers just try to focus on more of, community Mm -hmm. essence what's happening Mm -hmm. in the community what is causing families to move away from feeding at the breast and guided more and being guided more towards bottle feeding Mm -hmm. they see more of us a public health concern opposed to more centralized in race and what are their their direct impacts maybe they're not interested maybe there is and maybe they just haven't been promoting their research outcome (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. more room for For many of the professionals that are interested in doing research because we're such a big population and within ourselves we're so diverse you know not one culture is similar to the next we might have some similarities but there's just so many differences at that
0: yes exactly I know that you talked about how there was a lack of representation when you were going through your Mm -hmm. own breastfeeding Mm -hmm. journey and also for me right and we live in Different states you live in the southeast, and then I live in the midwest. And so, do you often find that there is a lack of support and education for Latina moms about breastfeeding?
1: You know, that is that depends on where you live. Because I'm now building this new coalition of Latina lactation professionals, having a hard time finding the Latina lactation professionals, but there's a lot of great work being done in certain sectors. But then there's, <clears throat> there's areas where I call them the lactation deserts, where there is nothing, where medical professionals really have not been introduced to what is a baby-friendly pediatric office or baby-friendly hospital. So in these areas, you might find that formula feeding is more pushed than breastfeeding support promoted because of those deserts. So there's certain areas where you have a ton of great work being done, but then you have other areas where it's just nothing happening. Mm -hmm. And do
0: you feel like if for those like desert areas that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. do you speculate that like women, specifically Latina women are receiving the information from their circles, like from their family? Mm
1: -hmm. What is kind of like your speculation? I think in those deserts, families are being supported Mm -hmm. by friends, family, grandparents, parents, especially those that are maybe first generation living here in the United States. They're relying more on those cultural practices. But definitely, parents are more relying on social media. They're relying on TikTok because it's a very quick method of getting the information that you need. So in that essence, social media is really helping us because they're now sharing the information at a faster rate than before we would have to go into a medical appointment and maybe your medical provider would give you some sort of pamphlet or some information. Or if you were able to go to the WIC office and there was a peer support group or there were some parenting classes, then you would get the information there. But most definitely those that are in their desert are having to rely on their family and friends, WIC offices, or social media mm-hmm. so, so if you see there's no in-person support as you no, can notice there right, is right. no like consultant coaching you and walking you through these steps it's more of a hands-off rather than a hands-on support
0: yeah and and that's the thing that at least for me i've personally struggled because as much research i've done you know about breastfeeding and and about my journey right so kind of tell you a little brief, very quick <laughs> background about my story. My intention was to breastfeed ex- exclusively for my son, D, who is now two years old. And, you know, that was my intention and everything. And as much like childbirth classes as I took, you know, I also worked with a doula. I felt that I had my little toolkit with me right (laughs) but as soon as he was born and after we brought him home there's something about like that after coming back from the hospital that makes such a big difference right and and i guess it's because you don't have anyone with you it's just literally you as a new parent your newborn that you barely even know and gave (laughs) life you know to them and your partner if you have a partner right and that's it and it was such an overwhelming experience. And definitely the first five weeks were so overwhelming. And I did receive a lot of support and help from my family, especially my mom. My mom was able to breastfeed, but up until she she had to go back to work. So I think we were about three months until you know she decided to wean. And so she did remember... And but I think for her, it came natural. I don't know. For me, it was a little difficult because my son wasn't able to latch. And I felt that my supply wasn't enough. But that's just what I believed. Right. And I think one of the there's many benefits of social media and being informed. But one of the negatives is that you see images of women having all this like stacked milk of like very true. All these frozen bags of milk, and then you're thinking, "Well, I'm not pumping that much, or I'm, you know, I'm not releasing that much," and so you know, just kind of going through that, and and reaching out to my pediatrician, to my son's pediatrician about you know, why is he crying? Why is he still crying? I literally just fed him. They then suggested formula and then we kind of did a combo feeding and then I did the triple feeding and this was all within the first five weeks and not to mention I was also recovering, right? And it's just a lot, it's overwhelming that then I decided to just stop breastfeeding, literally cold turkey and I went straight to formula for my son and then a couple of weeks later, I was like, no, this isn't what I wanted. So, again, here I am doing research. I'm like, you know, trying to figure out okay, is it me that I'm going through a postpartum period, that I'm having all of these emotions, all this guilt, all of this grief? But, you know, I did find that women can relactate if they wanted to. And mind you, this was during the time of the pandemic, where then the media was saying, if you're vaccinated, you can pass on those antibodies to the baby. And if you breastfeed, and here I am receiving the pressure too, right? And so, you know, it wasn't just because of that. I think I just wanted to have that nursing experience. I wanted to have that, you know, bonding experience with my son. And then I really felt that I was missing out. And so I decided to relactate. Um, when he was around 10, 11 weeks. I did hire hired an IBCLC. I was looking for a Latina IBCLC and I couldn't find one in the Chicago area. Even though I couldn't find that specific person, I really wanted someone to help me. And so I just went with someone that specialized in like relactation and she really helped me. She set up a plan. And yeah, I, for the most part, I did combo fed, you know, my son I supplemented just because, you know i think because of the initial 12 weeks i completely stopped i didn't regulate my milk if you will but i was happy i was satisfied and i was content and i was like as long as he receives a little bit of me and and yeah and i was still breastfeeding until he was about i would say 22 months so close to two years yeah but Despite all of this, right, I feel that oftentimes Latinas do experience issues right, with breastfeeding and this can be either a tongue tie or inability for baby to latch or they think that they have low milk supply or whatever the case is. But oftentimes they go directly to their families or they receive all the information from their families, from their mothers, grandmothers, tías, you know, sisters. So just like their immediate circles. And if like, kind of like with you, right, your background that like you didn't see anyone breastfeed, like why is it that we often lean in <laughs> to our circles without considering for the most part, professional advice or seeking professional help? Is it because there is a lack of representation? Or do we think that is expensive? Or do we think it's a privilege right, to hire an IBCLC? Or do we just not know that there's many ways that we can seek
1: professional support? I think we can go about it two ways. I think primarily it's the lack of representation. Because how good does it feel when the medical professional that comes in, you can speak Spanish with, right? Mm -hmm. It just feels better. And then also is the broken relationships that community has with medical professionals. Mm. Where, you know, for the black community, they were, they were subject to experiments. And for the Latino community in Puerto Rico, we were, we had a great group of women that were sterilized without their full consent. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a pushback, but the primary, the primary reason is the lack of representation, where you now have to bring a translator. How uncomfortable it is for me to have to explain to a translator. And my nipples hurt for the translator then to tell the medical provider and the medical provider, you know, and I'm probably witnessing his face and he's probably like, whoa, I didn't expect that or so forth. So the, the barriers, it's more due to that they not finding that care provider that speaks their language. Mm. Yeah. And then you talk, when you talk about neuroscience, right, you have this mirror neurons that kind of leads you to what you look in your surrounding, you mirror it right? That's, the, that's one of the parts of being a human being. So if the community around you, your family, your friends, your the social media that you're visiting, right? we talk, you talked about those high quantities of espresso milk, right? You want to be that. So when you talk about culturation, when you talk about someone that came from their country, they came here, we want to mirror, we want to adapt. As human beings, we're part of, we are adaptive creatures. So we're going to look around us and we're going to try to mirror what's around us. So if If you're not finding the support within your own friends and their own experience, because this now goes down and down and down to their own experiences. So if they're coaching you in a way that is deterring you from breastfeeding, you're receiving it because what else is there? You want to look apart. You want to adapt. You want to be included and inclusive. So sometimes you're accepting ill advice Mm -hmm. and Kind of that's the end of
0: their story. I think there's many benefits as Latinos that we are Mm -hmm. such community oriented, right? We lean into Mm -hmm. our kin, we lean into our family. But again, depending on how your family perceives or knows about, you know, lactation, that does make an impact, you know?
1: You often will see if a parent, if a grandparent successfully breastfed and they were able to do it besides any barrier. When they have their children, and now their children are bearing children, they are that most support. Sometimes you will feel like, wait, who's the doula? The grandparent or the doula that was hired? Because they're just this nurturer. They're invested. They know how to cater. Usually some of them will follow the cuarentena. They're taking care of them. They know what to give them. I remember my mom used to try to make me who go the home holy to increase quote unquote my milk supply taste <laughs> horribly, but when there's some knowledge and some enthusiasm, they can thrive. But if my story, right, if our story would have ended at that struggle, when we're when our children begin to bear children, we wouldn't know how to help them. We wouldn't even know how to begin how to help them because we couldn't help ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, if we can support the generation now for the new one that's coming normalizing it a little bit more, centralizing that support locally, so they're able to find that support within their network, instead of, like guess for me, had to travel to the next two counties over actually, to across two counties, in order to get that lactation support. How beautiful would it be when it's local, when support groups are local, or at least within the area? everybody get great information and and possibly be just as enthusiastic as you of saying wait a minute i changed my mind yes (laughs) let's do
0: this i think it it takes kind of like that self-demeanor kind of like with you right like it would have been easy to just go straight to formula because that's how you saw you know your close family members and even myself Mm -hmm. like my immediate circles at least with my generation like my sister I have a couple aunts who were like a couple years apart from each other, and I always remembered them just bottle feeding. And I know that my sister, for example, her intention was to breastfeed. But part of me wonders, she was a young mom, she birthed her first child at 21 years old, and I wonder if she was treated differently Mm -hmm. in the hospital then the default was just formula, even though she wanted to breastfeed, right? And so mm-hmm. it's it's just interesting how there are different levels of treatment and biases within the medical system, within the whole system itself that can influence, you know, people's decision. And not that I'm saying that formula is bad, you know, this is nothing to shame people or anything right. like that. There is a reason why, you know, yeah. formula was created. But again, like for for, parents who had wanted the intention to breastfeed. It's just so interesting how then the statistics just like drastically change, right, especially by that third month, like how you said. And so do you think it's because of either the misconceptions that the Latinx community has about breastfeeding? Or is it the treatment that the Latino community gets?
1: I think the misconception is a byproduct. product of the lack of early education, because if you take the pregnancy and you educate the parent in small chunks, by the time that they're birthing their child, they're kind of expecting some of these things to occur. But if you wait until this person delivers with zero understanding of what's happening to their bodies, what is the norm of feeding frequency in a newborn versus what does it look like at three months? versus six months, versus nine months, versus 12 months. And I would say this because there's, in those specific time points, things begin to look a little different. Mm-hmm. Growth spurts become a little bit more frequent. And that's when the parents begin to doubt their milk supply. When those growth spurts occur, baby now lasting a little longer, they're coming a little bit more frequent, they're a little bit more fussier at sundown. When they don't understand that that's normal child development, that's normal feeding behavior, then that causes them to think that they're not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then those voices from their surrounding of, I told you it's not enough. I told you they're, they're always hungry when you nurse them. The formula doesn't do that. Well, of course the formula doesn't do that. This is a synthetic thick product that takes about four hours to process through an immature gut. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to take four hours for the next feeding because that's how long the process will be. The human milk where it's more of a natural substance, the body absorbs it. This is how I teach it. The body absorbs it. And then whatever needs to be discarded is discarded, but it's massaging the intestines as it's exiting. <laughs> so, but but the point is that if they don't understand the norm mm-hmm. of this child, then they begin to doubt themselves. And I always call it the good mommy syndrome when they call me regarding their milk supply or their need to having to always feed their baby. I said, well it's a good mommy syndrome. When this child turns 30 and it visits you is visiting you with his own family, the first thing you're going to tell them, did you eat? Because as a Latino community that's so important and it's present in other communities. But since we're talking about our own culture, in our culture, it's normal to just share food as a way of connecting mm-hmm. with one another. So it's a good mommy syndrome. So when we be- begin to break down the norms, at time points, and then I'm able to stay with them and coach them through, they come out of this struggle, catching their breath, ready for their next one, right? Ready for that mm-hmm. six months mark where now solids are introduced and, you know, they are a little bit more active. So again, if they're able to receive this education early on, this wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. This wouldn't be a doubtful. But many medical clinics is more of a rush, especially when you talk about the Medicaid population. The low income community is more of a rapid visit scale. What what means should I put it? part of a production line. Mm-hmm. We're in out in out in out because well. In my experience, Medicaid patients, uh, for those patients, they're not paid as much as a private patient. So in order to fit the gap of a private patient price for Medicaid price, then they will have to double the amount of patients that they're seeing in order to satisfy their salary. So now that means that for us, we're being treated as a, okay, go. Okay, what's the problem? Here's a solution. Here's a piece of paper. Good luck.
0: All oh, right. Yeah.
1: Or the expectancy of just keep trying. Well, thank you. I, if I, You know, thank right. you for the advice. Right. I, I should have known that. Just keep trying. There you go. That's the solution, right? It's not. Mm. You need continuity of care. And realistically, if you've matched the experiences of those that are in a higher socioeconomic tax bracket, they're doing the work. They're the one with the private insurance, they can have a lactation and so on in their home here in Pennsylvania. One of the medical insurances has unlimited IBCLC support. Wow. So they're able to have someone. I had someone specifically. Whenever she had a baby, she would book me for every weekend for three months until she felt confident enough to do it on her own. Mm-hmm. But the, the the community that truly is in dire need don't have that privilege. Right. So they're having to rely on these experiences, these support from the community or from their friends, and it's oftentimes they don't get the chance to have that continuity of care. So if they had breastfeeding education early, if they had a support system in place, if they knew where to go, you won't hear this this doubt of I'm not making enough, mm-hmm. or the baby's fussy, you know, because I'm eating something spicy that is causing baby to have colic, you know, and. Right. That drives me crazy. Because I'm like, you know, there's an immature gut, right? <laughs> you know, that they just trying to use this new brand new organ. Yes. But if they don't know that they're going to use their own common sense. And that's not bad. We're human beings we're trying the best that we can. Right. But if we can put those resources, those tools in their hands, a lot of these myths will be debunked by itself there's
0: so many valid points here and <laughs> yeah it's just so interesting how it can be cultural too like and the we see the latinx community we don't talk about our bodies right we just don't even mention anything true. about our private parts That's i didn't true. even know that our names were different yeah like we don't name them correctly And even with that, how much of an impact it makes right on top of like not receiving these courses or classes about breastfeeding way in advance. I feel like there's a lot of missing opportunities here. And so what do you think needs to change? Like if you were Mm -hmm. someone in high power, right? What would be your first kind of line item in your agenda?
1: It's something that, uh, at least here in in Philadelphia, we've been striving for, and that is to put more professionals in the medical system that speaks the language. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, there has been a significant increase, and it might not be a Latino medical provider, but it might be a medical provider that probably did some of their medical studies in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. in Peru, because they devoted their time. That's awesome to get to learn the language. And that's beautiful because you're able to at least communicate without that need of an interpreter. But it's better to put people in place that looks like them because the language is solving a lot of issues and it's bridging a lot of gaps. But we are more in need of other professionals like lactation professionals considering lactation like, counselors to be part of parenting groups and parent in pediatric offices to kind of add that extra layer of component so the families are not educated and now are supported in their own sector. Mm-hmm. So we need more medical professionals that not only speak the language but that look like us. Yes. But we've been saying that for so long. Half of these answer to these questions frustrates me a little bit because when you're in this field for so long and you've done lobbying for so long and you've been voicing and you've been protesting, you know, in a nice way, (laughs) (laughs) you get frustrated when you feel like you only move an inch, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're celebrating every inch because for me, any increase is an increase, Mm -hmm. but time is passing us by And it almost feels like we were done a favor. All you wanted lactation support in the medical office. Well, here's a small clinic offering only two times a week. And you're like, okay, that's not what, you know, I was requesting or that's not what the community is voicing, but
0: here we are. Yeah. There's a lot of missed opportunities there and I don't know how you sleep. (laughs)
1: Well, that's why I have Breastfeeding Latinas and that's why I'm embarking in a new project because the the Black community is doing such a beautiful job. I'm clapping and sometimes I don't attend a lot of these events because of my work schedule, but I clap, I share, I talk about it because they're doing such an amazing job at bringing awareness to the point that they're bringing it to Capitol Hill. They're lobbying how it should be done. And they're standing up for themselves and they're saying enough is enough. We need, in order to have this, we need all these components, mm-hmm. right? To reduce maternal and infant mortality, we need better healthcare, right? We need better treatment. We need a better scope of practice. We need more support and so forth, right? So they're doing an amazing job. And then for a split second, I thought to myself, hold on, where is the Latino community in all this? because yes, we're black and brown, right? As a Puerto Rican, I'm black, I'm white, and I'm Native American, right? Mm -hmm. And I represent all three with pride. But when you talk about your people, we know how to talk to our people. We know what our our people are going through because we're all in the same pot. Mm -hmm. So the blacks are doing such an amazing job with their people. If you notice their becoming more confident, they're being more vocal, they're raising their voices. Yeah. They're causing an impact and a change because possibly one person stood up and said, oh no, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And then that's all it took. Then it takes Martin Luther King to say, I'm gonna have a conversation and mm-hmm. filled up Washington DC, right. So oftentimes it takes one person and then it brings on bravery. So I'm really hoping that with this approach That of me trying to find other Latina lactation professionals, that it brings up the same momentum, right? And I always, and I'm sharing it in this way it's not to create silos, because when you talk about children, when you talk about infant feeding, there shouldn't be a race attached to it. Infants need to be fed the right way, parents need to feed in a way that they are informed about the practices. What is it going to look like with breastfeeding? And also, what is it going to look like with bottles? Let them be informed of both spectrums. So my hope is that we're able to cause the same chain reaction across the world. You know, although I know Spain is doing an amazing job, I know a ton of groups in Spain are doing an amazing job, but it can start small, spread out to the United States and take it like COVID, take it worldwide. Right, right. <laughs> take all of us with it. At
0: this point.
1: <laughs> yeah. So with this initiative, and I don't wanna, I, I'm calling it at this moment, like be non-life Asian professional, because it was more of a baseline name or more of a tentative name to attract members or group supporters. So we're now in the exploration of deciding a name you know, in our first exploration meeting, we all agreed that, yes, we can take this a little further and make it into a coalition. And then we can explore, okay, what is it that we're going to target? Mm-hmm. And with saying that, my idea extends to, if we know how to talk to our people, and here's the awesome thing. And admitting in many settings, like whole visiting agencies, the Latino communities are the highest participant. And they and have the highest tenure in their participation of those home visiting programs. Hmm. So if we can find a way, we can do it our own with our people. Yeah. We can, as Latinas, do this. I mean, we're gonna need support, but we can do this ourselves. We got this. You know, we're strong. We're professionals. Right now in the group, I have two medical doctors. I have an organizational leader, I have nurses, I have lactation consultants, I have a doula that's also a dietician. So si tenemos la educación, si tenemos la inteligencia, we can have a program where we're servicing the Latino community in the language with people that look like them, right? With our beautiful array of color. Because I would say Puerto Ricans, it's like a whole variety pack, right? (laughs) You can never tell who's who, really because we come in all shapes and colors so how beautiful would that be if the latino community can stand up in a way where now we're offering services to our people Mm -hmm. ourselves how wonderful can that be right so that's kind of like my long-term goal with this group
0: yes that is awesome and i'm just very ecstatic again to have found you and the work that you're doing is just going to make such a big impact because i think it is time for us to not be passive right like we often yeah. root for our people but in a way we keep it kind of on the down low or we just don't mm-hmm. you know amplify it as much and i'm like no we can't be just passive like we need to work hard be a voice for our people because mm-hmm. i i also feel that Formula companies almost take advantage of of us, right? They know how to
1: pick on the vulnerable. Yes, yes. These marketing, when I study human resources and I study marketing, many companies that do heavy marketing and they're so profitable is because they're psychologists in their marketing Mm -hmm. group. So they know how to target the mind. They know what's gonna bring the attention of the public. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, it's, yeah. And, and I feel like, yeah, that's when they know who to target or how to target people. And I don't know if they do like these like culturally relevant studies about the Latino community, but like kind of going back to what you said, how we are communal and we love to eat. <laughs> right. Like that is if you put us on the table and no, I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I, I love food, you know, tambien but i wonder if because of our cultural perceptions about food that you know babies need to eat all the time i wonder if that's something that they take advantage of right that you know they market that formula may be better than breast milk or it's easier to feed than you know breastfeeding and actually i i have found like some resources targeted to the latino community specifically spanish speaking community community about breastfeeding and so I noticed that these resources are intended to talk about like avoiding obesity specifically and for me i always cringe because it's not just about obesity and like diabetes within a community yes okay that may be true like statistically speaking but i feel Mm -hmm. like when you're looking at resources about the benefits of breastfeeding i feel like that is the only intention of like not you know having your kid to be obese. <laughs> Whereas there's other <laughs> forms of or benefits of breastfeeding. Should there be other approaches to provide education or evidence-based information to the Latino community that breastfeeding is more beneficial than just like your baby being obese?
1: I think it should just be described there. I like to generalize it because although our in our community we might have experience you know, obesity and diabetes in the black community's hypertension. And I feel like that's causing a lot of finger pointing. And it Mm -hmm. kind of like, they're labeling, when we use that language, we're labeling each other, you know, because how about for that, maybe that family dynamic that it's not obese, how about if underweight is their issue. Mm -hmm. So now you're also outcasting them because they feel like, wait a minute, am I in the middle? Am I at the end? It creates so much insecurity that I really hate that kind of negative language. And like you said, although yes, it is statistic that Hispanics battle a little bit more with diabetes and with obesity. But I agree with you that the language should change to be more of a positive than a negative. For instance, highlighting all the great benefits that breast milk can cost a child and for the mother. And sticking to it, not focusing on the negative, because often when do you feel attracted to a product or a cause because of a negative outcome? Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't really promote interest or attraction. When you talk about the lavish things, the greatest thing, baby is gonna, baby's gonna improve this, its, its ability to, of its speech. Baby will improve its speech because now the motor skills are highly developed because now the baby's using more of a jawbone structure. That's awesome. To those that find that important, baby's microbiome is protected in their stomach, so it's a it's a less chance that your baby my my contracting GI infection. Uh, for the mother, you're able to prevent future pregnancies, right? And if you do it the right way, because <laughs> <laughs> some get pregnant. Like you told me, no, I did not. <laughs> But when, the, the point is when you begin to sell it in a way that it's awesome you begin to find individuals that are wanting to be part of that because yeah. if you tell if you would have told me well they did tell me but i wasn't i was more interested in the whole immunity aspect like what told me to breastfeeding was when i read that i'm sharing part of my immune system mm-hmm. and this will help my children not get common illnesses because of the continuity of the protection of breast milk, right? But for others, it might be that they are able to be smarter, right? Data has shown that children that are specifically breastfed have an increase in their IQ scores. So when you begin to then sell it in a point where, Hey, you're giving this baby more than just immunity, a powerful tool for their future, Mm -hmm. then you're more winners, but. There is a lot of organizations or entities that thrive or think they're thriving on scare tactics and scare tactics don't work. And in today's society, where now we're saying whatever, or we're saying enough is enough, Mm -hmm. we're not trapped anymore in that scare tactic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And, you know, this makes me think about like the formula shortage, right? That just happened. Oh,
1: goodness. Yes
0: you know, it's Which like, I can't... to have a lot of
1: clients on relaxation because of it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how mm-hmm. the big buzzword was like relaxation. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I did this before
1: y'all, but <laughs> yeah. and that was it's... so cool. Cause for me, it was like, Oh, I gotta go get educated again. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. I had to buy webinars and had to read literature because I knew what was coming. I said, before they come, let me make sure I'm refreshed Yes. because yes. of that shortage.
0: And it, yeah, And just like, you know, kind of going back off of like the marketing, right? Like, it's just interesting how these companies can definitely benefit, you know, from consumers. Mm -hmm. And then when there is a shortage, like, how are you supporting the community? Right? And, And that was just my, like, I cringed, how are these babies being fed then? And these parents just like freaking out about, you know, how they're going to feed their babies because they relied on these companies to provide Mm -hmm. supply. And it's just all tied into just like how vulnerable our community can be. I think that slowly, like how you said, social media is making a better impact, at least for this generation to be better informed. In your opinion, are there any policies that promote like breastfeeding positively to the Latinx community? Do you think that we're moving in a good direction as far as with how people are receiving information and making good Mm -hmm. decisions?
1: No, I don't think there's any data to to that specificity. I think that the policies are built more on public health and the benefit of the the population as a whole. So with that comes the baby-friendly designations where hospitals, are now, if they're interested in applying, are now required to follow a ten-step guidelines on promoting and supporting breastfeeding, and that was including banning the infant bag that we used to get back years ago, where before you were discharged you get a bag with some formula sample, that was removed. We in Philadelphia we did that movement; it was called "Ban the Bag." So the policy included that now all, birth, all birthing hospitals in the state of Philadelphia, in the city of Philadelphia will not offer formula samples so we can continue to promote and support breastfeeding so the policies are more centralized in the community as a whole but when it comes to the latino community i don't think there will be any data mm, so there's opportunity for growth there yes there is. i'm telling you if we the got latino community get it together oh we could have our own world we'll be like excuse me can i just get mars we could do this. Yeah, Yeah. we are the highest growing minority. I was was listening to a podcast from a medical professional, and just when she said the Latino community are the fastest growing minority, and I said, "Oh yes, we're gonna, we're gonna overpopulate this world."
0: (laughs) Yes, but it takes action, and and I think by us having this conversation, hopefully that sparks awareness if there was none and hopefully action after that. And I think that, you know, I'll (laughs) make sure to mention you. I mean, we are living in different regions in in the US, but I think that it all, takes community right to build a coalition like you said and and i think that it's just important for us as mujeres you know to not only like understand our bodies but i also think it's beautiful that we are reclaiming our culture right that we are living to what our ancestors did really Mm -hmm. anyone any woman in this world or who has passed in this world was able to provide nutrition to their baby and they did right before formula was invented, how were babies fed? And we just need to trust our bodies and kind of relive that. And I know that there are different obstacles and barriers like work, (laughs) jobs, (laughs) you know, sometimes it just depends on your living environment too, right? And so I honestly know that that is also a struggle. But again, if we want to build awareness and take action. Like, I think we all just need to speak up and talk about our stories and our limitations to then hopefully create policies that go for us and not against us.
1: That was part of the meeting. One of the young ladies who said, before we begin to do anything, we need to share our stories Mm -hmm. because then we can bring awareness to others that never probably thought about being a lactation professional. It probably didn't even, they just thought, okay, I did this, what I did and that's it. For some of us, it's natural, but we're more in tune to our culture and we're all about this supporting each other's sisterhood. But to some, it just never been brought as an idea. You know, they haven't had that epiphany. Wait a minute, I can support my family, my my sisters, my, my neighbors. So if we tell our stories, we're able to say, oh, That's what's happening.
0: Yes. Yes, sharing our stories. And yeah, I cannot thank you enough for what you're doing. I know that you briefly talked about your platform, but do you want to add a little
1: bit more about Breastfeeding Latina? Sure. So although Breastfeeding Latina started as a support system for the community in the lactation, although I'm still in private practice and I still support families, even if they sometimes they send me an email and have a question, or they send me a message in social media about some of their struggles. I do take the time, I do not charge because not, again, my passion is supporting as many people as possible. But I am now taking this platform a little bit more in depth so it can spread out a little faster. So with it, we're, we're meeting with a group of professionals that are doing the great work in the community and begin to think of ways that we can improve the education, how we can improve the availability of limitations with prof- professionals. And then we also having conversations of making this into a workforce. And mm-hmm. we can provide peer counselor support training in Spanish, right? We're going to move away a little bit from the English, but this is great. You know, we're a Latina, so we speak English and we're doing great work in English, but with this group, we're really thinking about honing it to Spanish Mm. right no more translation and in the peer council support they begin to work on that peer-to-peer support now these peers are able to get a compensation for supporting maybe someone that reached out to the program and requested some support so we're branching out we're moving forward so right now we're still in our exploration of finding more Latinas in southeastern Pennsylvania we're sending a little bit more to South Jersey, where it's pretty close to the two, three major bridges that will that unite each other. Delaware County, Chester County, even further to Delaware State, because that will be our tri-county. And another thing that we're working on, so we're working on, on a directory. So this would be across the United States because while you were talking to me about your experience and you said you you couldn't find the support, I know a ton of people in Chicago, (laughs) but you didn't, No, but you didn't. So how good it'd be if we can create a directory where state, then counties, we can share the names, phone numbers, websites, of individuals that are doing the great work in do love, midwifery, breastfeeding, yes. that are solely Latinas, that speak Spanish, and then taking that major directory and sharing it on mm. and being a resource tool for medical providers across the United States to say, here's the directory. And then everyone can find support because it would have been awesome if you would have had a hold of that directory And you would have said, oh, such and such is close by. And then you would have gotten support for someone and possibly even from your own country.
0: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be wonderful. And it is much needed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So whoever's listening that is doing the great work of doula support, midwifery support, childbirth, lactation, to contact us so we can add you to that directory so others can find you and you can be the support system for those that are in your community. They can message me directly on my website at breastfeedinglatinas.org or they can email me at breastfeedinglatinas at gmail. Dot com. Awesome.
0: We're going to shift gears towards the Viva La Mami questions that I ask all my guests Yay. from the You're a Mama of Three. And so what still surprises you about being a mommy?
1: Goodness. That these mouths don't, they don't end. Just like we were talking at the beginning, like when they turn three months, six months, there point right? certain time points where things change. And I think I did a great job at preparing when they were little, that sometimes I feel like every day is a new day with them. They're all now teenagers 13, 15, 17. Wow. So, as the 17 year old exits a milestone or, or a period, here comes my 15 year old and enters it. And then here comes my 13 year old enters it. And I feel like I'm like in a never ending loop. And I intentionally had them at two years apart because my idea was like one can leave and the other one leaves and the other one leaves, you know, and in a timeframe where I can coach them out of the house. But I just feel like every day is a new day. Every day I'm getting to know them. Every day I'm learning something new about them. We're a very close-knit family with like, a, like our own little herd. So this is a place where they feel safe. And many people will tell me, why do not I talk back to you? I said, oh, you're, you're misunderstanding. There's no talk back here. They know not to talk back. Mm-hmm. It's a dialogue. Our conversations often look like a debate. But it's a healthy debate, like the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers were known because they always had very strong, hearty debate at the, at the dinner table. And that's how we are. When I read about their story, I'm like, oh my God, guys, that's how we are. We're always debating. We're always negotiating. But that's what makes us who we are.
0: What is one tip of advice you have for Latina moms?
1: Give yourself grace. Because as great mothers that we are, we want to do it all. And we want to have it all. And we can, but not at the same time. And if we're able to understand that things come in its timing and we want the multi especially those that are, that are in the workforce we want to be there for every softball game we want to be, at, be there for every activity that they might have in their school and then we're caught between our careers and their schooling knows that we can have it all we just can't have it all at the same time mm-hmm. so give yourself some grace stay Will love you anyway. They know that you're there. They know that you're supportive. And if you build that relationship with them early, where they can open up to you, that would just carry on into their adulthood and carry on into your grandchildren.
0: Thanks for sharing that. And final question What is your meaning of motherhood?
1: You know what is motherhood? Multiplying yourself.
0: Ooh. Having
1: to be, in the words of my sister, having the one to. Go get the money right when we work go get the money go to the supermarket buy the food put the food away cook the food throw away the trash of the food <laughs> so it, it's it's a multi-layer it's a multi-layer role mm. where you're the doctor you're the nurse you're the coach you're the mentor you're the therapist you're the physical <laughs> you the you're the you're the pe teacher <laughs> And then finally, you're just their mom. They're everything. You know, one thing I love about my children, especially my oldest daughter, because she's a little older and a little bit more vocal, she always says, is she's like, You think I'm not listening, but I'm listening. You know, mm-hmm. to the ton of advice that I give her as she, you know, goes through insecurities and then she feels empowered. Like they go through that roller coaster of emotions. But giving them that advice right as not not as a therapist although we tend to be sometimes with them but as that coach and as that mentor mm-hmm. that's something that i feel like they they are thriving on our experiences are now being transpired to them so we might live or we might have gone through something let's say for five years worth how cool is it that In a week or so, we're able to transpire five years of worth of experience, and they get this crash course, and now they don't have to endure it. So it's like we fixed the generation. Mm. I love it. I love it. So multiply yourself. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Where can people follow you? So I am on Facebook and Instagram, and my website is breastfeedinglatinas.org. Still a little under construction because i'm changing the narrative of breastfeeding latinas to focus more on this coalition that would happen before the end of the year and and via email breastfeeding latinas at gmail.com
0: i'll make sure to share your information and anything discussed in the show notes so thank you so much and i wish mm-hmm. you the best of luck with this coalition this platform of yours this is much needed in our comunidad and I hope it expands nationwide because I love what you're trying to do with your community in the Southeast area. And I think that it's needed everywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having
1: me. It was fun.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Viva La Mani podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review and write what episode really resonated with you. If you really loved it, share it on social media or with an amiga. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to follow me at Viva La Mami on Instagram or visit VivaLaMami.com. Please note the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be replaced by your healthcare provider nor taken as professional advice.